Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, a food and beverage writer and editor-in-chief at Hannah Lee Communications. As a PR professional myself and Michael as a journalist, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. So each week, we interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. In this episode, we chat with Brad Jaffe, a freelance journalist specializing in spirits, craft mixology, gastronomy, and travel. His work appears in Bloomberg, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and many other top outlets. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the show. Great to see you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Hannah. Great to be here. So, Brad, you've traveled to so many amazing places and done so many things around the world. You wrote in Bloomberg that your first destination will be Isla when it starts to feel safe again. So why is Scotland capturing your imagination these days? Well, um, if you know me, what you do, you know I'm quite a big fan of drinking scotch. And I've always said that even if it wasn't for the fact that this country makes the uh, my preferred whiskey on the planet, I still would put Scotland right near the top of my list in terms of travel destinations because it is just such an exquisite, exquisitely beautiful landscape, just rugged and pastoral and just everything that I love in a travel destination is just entirely packaged uh, in this one destination. So it's always on my mind. I've been there about 10 times, I think, at this point. And so being able to travel all over the world normally as a travel writer, I still would keep going back to Scotland rather than any other place that necessarily I hadn't been to before. I love Scotland. But now let's talk about my favorite destination, Hawaii. Okay. We know that you were unexpectedly stuck in Hawaii because of the pandemic, and you decided to stay for almost six months. I mean, not a bad place to be stranded, right? So um, as a big city guy, did it change your perspective on things? I mean, I just think that 2020 is really the great uh, perspective shifter more than, uh, you know, being in a less populated area. What was uh, very different for me, I've never lived directly on water before. And so I find that to be very calming and soothing and just the sounds of the ocean waves uh, grounded me at a time when there was just unprecedented uncertainty. And so to me, that was very, very important. And I was able to stay productive. Thankfully, you know, I'm in a line of work where I can, I can work remotely. So, you know, it's just a matter of staying focused and continuing to uh, be in a proper mindset where you can produce work that you're happy with and that you're proud of. And that was a great environment for me to do that. So speaking of productive work, you freelance for various publications. So can you tell us your top three publication that you're writing for these days and how your stories are different for each of them? I mean, I cover so many different things within the lifestyle space under that greater umbrella, um, certainly with the specialty being uh, in spirits, cocktails and beer and wine. I, I also am a travel writer. So that's had to be different, clearly, during these times. And um, even the, the, the publications that I write for, 
when it comes to spirits. And even if it was just about whiskey, you have to have a different tone and, and be very cognizant of your audience with each publication that you're writing with as a full-time freelancer like myself. So for example, if I was writing for a piece that was for one of my more business-oriented publications, whether it be Bloomberg or say Forbes, um, you want to be uh, very aware of the fact that the audience kind of wants to see some numbers and some stats and some data. Um, and then if you're writing for more of the industry type stuff, if you were writing for uh, a punch, say, or for liquor.com, that you could maybe get a little bit geekier, for lack of a better term, and, and really dive deep into these categories. And, and you kind of can take for granted that your audience is going to understand, uh, you know, the difference between a single malt and a single grain, for example, if you're talking about scotch. That makes sense. Yeah. You, you recently wrote a very good piece for the Washington Post on the loopholes celebrities are finding in order to still travel overseas during the pandemic. It really just comes down to having a lot of money to spend on private jets and yachts. <laughs> but uh, do you see this happening more with non-celebrities? Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's not even just having money. That is certainly the prerequisite. You have to start from there. Um, if you have some more influence and sway, then you probably have a team of handlers that are, you know, well equipped to, uh, let's just say, kind of uh, loosen, you know, lubricate the wheels um, and, and get things in motion, which is what we saw with some of the high profile celebrities and influencers that were talked about in that particular piece. Um, I think that, uh, yes, you'll see throughout the, the rest of 2020 and into the next year, I would anticipate that a lot of the travel that we're will be seen across social media will be people that have the means to travel on a private jet or, you know, get into their destination. They get on a private yacht and these places that are kind of separated from other people. Obviously, that is quite a privileged life to lead. One thing that was mentioned to me by somebody that I interviewed for this piece was just that it's not only just the, the privilege and the access to money, but people that are of that highest status level tend to be more uh, daring and intrepid travelers, according to the travel agent that I spoke to. But basically, her point was that after 9-11 and after uh, the global financial crisis and after these big um, calamitous events that happened, it was kind of the high end that led the way back into uh, it's safe to travel again. Interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of celebrities, um, so many celebrities are launching their own wines and spirits. And uh, you've covered Snoop Dogg and uh, Post Malone and others. So why do you think consumers are drawn to this type of stories? Um, I think that always celebrity sells. They are the original influencers before that even became uh, the dirty word that it is today. And they are just aspirational, the lives that they lead. And there's just this vicarious thrill of seeing how the other half, or the 0.0001% are doing things. So we like to see how they eat and drink. And then maybe we can kind of uh, touch that and, and, you know, somehow hold a piece of that intimately because we're emulating these things that they do. Yeah. It's almost like a fantasy comes to reality. Mm -hmm. And people need escapism now more than ever. Absolutely. I would also say that the, the interesting thing about celebrities in the spirit space is that now you're seeing 
them doing some of the behind the scenes lifting. Um, and so exactly. rather than just putting my face on the brand, I actually, you know, Post Malone, who I spoke to at length about his launching of his, of his rosé, you know, he went to the south of France and he tasted through uh, a bunch of these different blends with the blender and with the winemaker. And he wanted to be a part of it. Um, so there's going to be some cynical people out there that say, yeah, there's just selling you, you know, what you want to hear. But I felt and, and it sounded authentic coming from him that like he wanted to have uh, a, a part of this process. And so that's what I'm seeing a lot more when it comes to these celebrities that are super talented, at, whether it be acting or uh, directing or, you know, singers, athletes, they all have their wheelhouse that they're tremendously gifted at, yet they want to kind of challenge themselves to see if they could uh, bring some of that talent to another spectrum, to the world of spirits, and find success there too. So I think they see it as a challenge and as a point of personal pride, where it's like my name is attached to something. Uh, I got to make sure this is good. Yeah, I think uh, you're hundred percent right, and I think The Rock and Ryan Reynolds, I mm-hmm. think those two are great examples. You know, they are putting a lot of efforts to make their brand work. For sure. And I like having these conversations with the celebrities within a minute or two, you can kind of get the sense immediately of, you know, how into it these people really are versus, you know, are they just a paid spokesperson? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I just want to be able to present to my audience that I'm writing these stories about, is it the former or the latter? Because that's important. Exactly. Exactly. So let's circle back to uh, geekiness for a second. Okay. And uh, you you did a great piece on uh, CNN Travel on Jamaica and uh, really an in-depth look at the whole production methods with the hogo and the funkiness. Mm -hmm. But obviously you're not traveling these days much. So how are you managing distillery coverage without being able to hop on planes easily and get to, you know, fun and exotic places? Uh, just drink, Michael. Just drink a lot of good spirits. Basically. That's a good start. No, but that particular piece, what, what was an interesting thing to write, because as I was talking about before, in terms of knowing your audience, you know, the, the CNN travel audience is not necessarily the, the type of audience that is going to be at all familiar with Hogo or familiar with this idea of funk when it comes to rum. So that was a really exciting piece for me to write because I, I felt like I was really amplifying and broadening this aspect of Jamaican rum, particularly that a lot of general consumers don't understand. You know, there's just this stubborn, persistent, you know, connotation stereotype that rum is just this, you know, cloyingly sweet thing that I'm going to drink in, you know, on the beach with a a parasol in the cocktail. And and so to show people that this is a sipping spirit um, and that it has every bit the sophistication of your whiskeys and your cognacs and these other categories of spirit that have been somehow held to a higher esteem. I love to be at all uh, working and, and uh, a part of that movement to show people the seriousness of rum. Yeah, I mean, that, that story could have held its own in, you know, in a serious trade publication. Yeah. So I, I was very impressed to see it in a much broader media. Yeah, I was very happy that uh, the editor that I was working with there, who's great, was uh, accepting of the story idea and willing to go with me down a little bit of a rabbit hole. And so those types of uh, pieces are pretty challenging because you have to walk that uh, very, very thin line between uh, writing to a broad audience and then also, you know, you want to convey information to them, but you don't want it to be uh, overly 
uh, geeky so that they just stop reading after the second or third graph. That's absolutely right. So um, speaking of stories, can you explain to our listeners how you pitch a story to your editors? Yeah. So I am a full-time freelancer, so I've never worked uh, on staff for a publication. And so, you know, a big part of my life is pitching to editors. And you could have a number of great pieces run with great publications in close succession. And then you're only as good as your last piece. And still, uh, you could just get this week where you just hit a brick wall and like nothing is landing. So the most important aspect, I think, of being a full-time freelancer is just having uh, persistence and to not be afraid to get no. Hearing no is sometimes the greatest thing because you've gotten an answer. <laughs> you know, at least like I know you don't want this. A lot of times, a lot of people are deterred because you don't even get that. And it can be a little bit uh, dejecting at times to just get a series of no's in a row. It's really, it can, it can really wear away at your self-esteem. So you have to just be able to roll with the punches and not take things too personally. I guess that's the same as a PR professional's um, <laughs> life. Yeah. Nothing different, you know, you just have to be persistent and also be creative. And if there's no answer, go back to them again with other ideas. Yeah. So yeah, I can definitely feel your pain, but at the same time, the reward when you get the results and, you know, you feel so good about it. So absolutely. I mean, to me, getting a new byline uh, with a new publication is like one of the most exciting feelings there is certainly for me, like professionally. And just, I, I love to have my work featured in as many different publications as possible because each new publication is a potentially new audience that I'm being exposed to. Um, and they're being exposed to me. And so that's awesome. And that's, that's what I love doing. Well, and you know, the, the results really show, and you've been very, very busy writing this year as you have in the past. So looking ahead to the coming months, what kinds of stories will you be working on? Hmm. Well, I do have a semi-regular column uh, in The Hollywood Reporter that is very much about celebrities in the spirit space. So we have a couple of interesting uh, storylines to talk about there. I just had a beautiful chat with uh, Peyton Manning, the uh, former Super Bowl winning quarterback and future Hall of Famer, uh, about him delving into the world of Tennessee whiskey. That'll appear soon in, uh, in The Wall Street Journal. And then, you know, it's holiday season, so there's going to be a remarkable amount of, of new products that are going to drop in time for, and they're coming out already, for you to uh, stuff your stockings with, um, with these products. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's going to take up a lot of time, of course. To me, personally, one of the, the most boring types of stories that I can write is like the listicle. Um, the roundup piece, because I like personally, I like to do written through narrative a lot more. It's just, you, you, I, I think you can tell a more complete story that way. So unfortunately, you know, a, a part of any job is doing some things, not because you want to, but because you have to. And so this type of season coming up, there will be listicles and roundups of, okay, these are the best new whiskeys this year. Totally makes sense. So, um, as you know, we are a huge fan of all things digital, all things social media. So we want to ask you, which social media platform do you find most useful for identifying or researching or writing your stories? Hmm. Uh, in terms of research, you know, Facebook would probably be the best resource there because there's 
uh, you know, inside groups and industry groups of like-minded people and, and, and groups that connect people in the bartending world and people in spirits production world with journalists so that they're all kind of in the same group together. And you can ask people things that need to be asked at the times that you're writing stories related to that. But it seems like probably from a promotional standpoint that uh, Twitter and Instagram are probably better than, than Facebook. Though when it comes to Instagram, there is not a lot of clickover because the whole design of Instagram is to keep people like native in that platform. So probably the best thing to link to your stories would probably be Twitter, but I have not spent a lot of time and energy to build out uh, what the kids refer to as a brand these days. Um, because to me, my focus is on writing. And so I don't have a huge social media following, but I you know, write for publications that have millions of Instagram uh, followers. And so plenty of people are going to see that story when they post it to their site. So if someone wants to get your attention, let's say one of our listeners wants to uh, pitch a story to you, what would you say are your top three do's and don'ts for getting your attention? Um, I would say the do is definitely make it feel personalized. So do a little bit of research. Be like, you know, I just read such and such that, that you posted somewhere. And I like this about it. Something that really makes it feel like, oh, wow, like this person actually cares about me. <laughs> you know, So that's a good way to start. And then, you know, if it has like a personalized kind of note to it so that it's not just, you don't feel like you're getting a template sent to you, uh, that goes a long way because I'm going to be a lot more, uh, you know, compelled to read through what was sent. If it looks like this was an actual letter that somebody took time to send to me, right. it really goes a long way. Um, and then uh, in the opposite end of that is that sometimes people send out these um, template forms where obviously <laughs> it, it's just a mass email and they're just supposed to put in your name into it and then it'll personalize it to whoever it's being sent to. And then every now and then you get something that says in brackets, like your name, like literally your name instead of saying Brad. And you're like, it's embarrassing for the publicist, I'm sure, when, when that type of stuff happens. And I do feel bad for them when that happens. But it's just like, okay, you've been busted. Like, this was something that obviously you sent to thousands of people. And then, um, you know, figure out, I mean, if you encourage a conversation where, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, people are asking me like, hey, so what are some things that you're working on right now? I'd love to talk to you about, you know, to kind of start a conversation is always going to uh, go a long way, I would say, with a lot of journalists, so they don't just feel like um, they're just a cog in a wheel or something. Um, is email subject make it or break it? And I know you get a lot of emails uh, every single day. So how important is it? And if so, what needs to be in the subject line to get your attention? I don't know if it's make or break, except for I will say that there are times when I feel that they're trying to dupe me a little bit, like put like re colon, like regarding, like make it seem like you already have had a, uh, an interaction and that this is just a response to an already ongoing conversation. So that would actually be an example of a break because if somebody uh, was trying to trick me into opening up an email, like, yeah, maybe I'll open it, but I'll resent the fact that you just tried to trick me. So I don't like that. Um, but I would say that, if it's like new product or something like that, if there's something that has like a sense of urgency there, then clearly I want to say, I want to see, 
you know, I want to see that new product. I want to be writing about things before everybody else is writing about it. One of the great joys professionally, along with getting those new bylines and new publications, is when I write a story that I see other publications then pick up and copy. And sometimes they're nice and they actually link back to your source material. Other times they don't. But even when they don't, and I do <laughs> resent that, at the end of the day, I'm like, cool. So I like brought something to the collective unconscious or to the, uh, to the space that is now being reported on by others. It, it is a compliment. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a very strange form of flattering, but flattering nonetheless. <laughs> All right. Now for the listener question segment of our episode, we have a question from Maura Foley, who's the chef owner of the Shelburne Lodge in Kenmare, Ireland. Oh. She wants to know if Ireland is on your travel agenda, and if so, what interests you the most about the Emerald Isle? Okay, well, I love, love, love Ireland, and uh, it's always high on my list just because, you know, they make great whiskey there. And um, as many of your listeners probably know, Irish whiskey is has been the fastest growing category of spirit in the United States for, for a little while, for at least a couple of years. So there's so many uh, interesting things happening with distilleries opening in Ireland and new styles and them kind of finding their footing in the premium and luxury space. So from a professional standpoint, I always want to go to Ireland to see what's new and next because there's always going to be at least a couple of new distilleries to go visit. And then, you know, in terms of food, drink, culture, it's just, it's a sensational place. Yeah, I Couldn't agree. agree more. Love Ireland. So we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we see a promising future for our industry. So in your opinion, Brad, what innovations have you seen that are moving our industry forward? Um, well, I think that um, from every crisis, there is, you know, a potential opportunity. It sounds like a very crass thing to say, but the opportunity during these very challenging times is uh, the opportunity to show the strength of this community. And you really saw um, the best in people that they wanted to help out how they could, whether it was like, you know, donating time and, and an entire kitchen to feed people that have been laid off and been put out of work, or whether it's, uh, you know, finding ways to, to help pivot to create new job opportunities for bartenders that have been laid off. You know, that to me is really what's going to drive things forward is just the strength of this community. And I think that Obviously, there's just this turbulence that we don't know when when it'll all be over. But when we come out on the other side, you will see the real strength and the beauty of that community like never before. I agree. That's how we see that as well. I think the togetherness and also collaborations are the key. And there's a mm -hmm. lot of things like that are happening in our industry. That's a beautiful to see. And I think we've seen some of the changes in format. So, you know, we've been talking about canned cocktails and how they've become a little bit less um, stigmatized, I would say, that now people realize like, oh, you know, I can have a beautiful drink in a can. So that's just an example there of how, because people had to change their habits so radically during these times, they've realized that certain things that they maybe thought were uh, not so great, they realize it's not really that big of a deal, if that makes any sense. Another example would be just ordering liquor and 
ordering booze off of the internet. And so it's actually legal and it's, it's obviously not legal everywhere, but it's legal in a lot of states. And a lot of people didn't realize that how easy it could be to have like a premium bottle of scotch sent to your door because they just assume like, oh, well, that's just something that's not legal and it's never going to be illegal, but it actually was. And then they realized that you could do it because they had to during the pandemic. And now that's going to kind of change the way that um, people approach their food and beverage. No question. It's, uh, it's made us all cope in different ways. And a lot of these things are going to persist, you know, well into the future. I think so. So it's really been fun having you on the show, Brad. Where can our listeners find you? I have a, uh, a lot of work with a lot of different outlets. So I would say, you know, look for my work in Wall Street Journal, uh, CNN, Bloomberg, Bloomberg Business Week. Um, I write a lot for Forbes. I have a column for The Hollywood Reporter and, you know, tons of different net magazines and uh, newspapers across the country, Washington Post. So just, you know, be mindful of the spelling of my last name, which is pretty unique, J-A-P-H-E. And so if you just Google the Brad Jaffe, I, I haven't found another Brad Jaffe that spells it that way. So you're probably going to come across some of my writing. And what about uh, in terms of reaching out to you? Can people DM you on social? Uh, absolutely. My Instagram handle is journeys underscore with underscore Jaffe, J-A-P-H-E. It's been a beautiful journey with Brad for the last 20 minutes. So thank you so much, Brad. And again, appreciate your time and your insights. And hopefully we'll see you very soon. Face to face, hopefully. That would be fantastic. I will very, very much treasure that moment. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Bye. Brad. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you, guys. I always find Brad so thoughtful and deep. Now that you know what Brad covers, please feel free to reach out to him. Just remember his do's and don'ts. And of course, mention that you heard him on our podcast. Before we announce next week's media guest, we will now unveil our new weekly innovation report from our agency, Hanali Communications. It will spotlight five game changers, fearless leaders, and exciting industry news that is moving hospitality forward. All right, here we go. Number one, what we're reading this week. Our agency celebrates book authors we admire through our hashtag AskTheAuthor series. This week, we're reading Recipes from the President's Ranch by Chef Matthew Wendell, who cooked for President George W. Bush at Camp David and the Family's Ranch in Texas. Check out at HLC Book Media on Instagram for our interview on how Chef Matthew and the White House Historical Association brought this cookbook to life. Number two, who we are honoring this week. We celebrate trailblazing women on a weekly basis via our digital channels. And this week's honoree is Ivy Wu of Food News, a top PR and marketing agency in Singapore. Her agency manages Singapore Cocktail Week, and their main clients include the world's 50 best bars and the world's 50 best restaurants. As her counterpart in the U.S. market for the World 50 Best Bars, it's such a pleasure to collaborate with Ivy, a truly pioneering woman. Number three, what we're listening to this week, the Michelle Obama podcast. We enjoyed Michelle Obama's debut episode a few months back, where the former first lady interviewed her husband, President Obama. The episode is an up-close and personal conversation that shows their deep love, mutual respect, and great sense of humor. This is one of our podcasts that we regularly tune into. 
Number four, who is inspiring us this week? Our day always begins by reading Mark Brown's industry news update e-newsletter. Mark brings together the alcoholic beverage industry's most important news in a single summary. It's a great way to start your spirited day. And number five, what we're celebrating this week. At the PR News Platinum PR Awards 2020, the Oscars equivalent, our agency won the Best Marketing Communications Award for our PR campaign on behalf of our client, Ichigo Saiten Shochu from Japan. We're also excited to win 12 honorable mentions for our PR campaigns for Fever Tree Mixers, the Times Square Edition, Raised by Wolves, Dear Ivorian Hudson, and the HLC Global Bartender Travel Scholarship. Stay tuned for next week's Innovation Report. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues. In our next episode, we chat with Charu Suri, a freelance journalist who covers hotel design, travel destinations, and restaurants for the New York Times, Architectural Digest, Condé Nast Traveler, and many other outlets. Tune in to listen to this worldly and soulful writer and learn how to tell your story in the most authentic way. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together. <laughs>